0: Guess what, friends? I'm about to tell you how you can get massymes for free. Yes, completely free. If you suffer from digestive issues like gas, bloating, or cramping, even when you're eating healthy, nutritious foods or doing all your intermittent fasting, well, maybe you could benefit from a high quality enzyme. If you've never tried enzymes, or even if you've tried them and they haven't worked, you've got to give this one a chance. As you guys know, we are major fans of the company by Optimizers. They're one of the few supplement companies who have incredible effective formulations using the highest quality ingredients and which actually work. And Masszymes is a 17-enzyme full-spectrum formula with five different kinds of proteases. Those digest proteins. They also contain all of the key enzymes needed for optimal digestion. Masszymes also contains Astrazyme, which is a proprietary all-natural plant-derived compound extracted from Panax ginseng and astragalus. It actually boosts amino acid absorption by 30 to 60%. Basically, Masszymes ensures that all the protein you consume breaks down into absorbable amino acids. So if you're struggling to digest those meals, maybe especially those feasts in a a one-meal-a-day situation, you've got to try Masszymes. Right now, you can get a bottle of Masszymes for free. Yes, completely free, and there's no catch. No tricks, no forced continuity, nothing to cancel. Basically, they are so confident in their products that they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. Just go to com slash ifpodcast free. That's m-a-s-s-z-y-m-e-s dot com forward slash free. all one word. You will automatically get access to your unique coupon code to claim your free bottle. This is limited to one per household, and it's valid while supplies last. You are going to love their products, and we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now enjoy the show. Hi everybody and welcome. This is episode number one hundred and sixty-nine of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi everybody and Jen, how does it feel to be a New York Times best-selling author? It feels so crazy. Can I just tell you about that phone call? Yes, I've been dying to know it. Tell me, please tell me.
1: I was at the beach with some friends and it was the middle of the afternoon on a Wednesday, because that's when the new lists come out, I now know. And we were actually already drinking champagne just because we're just celebrating life in general, and we were at the beach. So I had a glass of champagne in my hand for already, for real. And I didn't know that was the day the New York Times list came out. And so my phone rang, and it wasn't a number I recognized, but I was like, ooh, let me get it. And it turned out it was someone from our literary agency. And she's like, hey, I've got Celeste coming on the line. And then I would like had tingles. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I know what this is. (laughs) And then they told me that Fast Feast Repeat had debuted on the New York Times bestseller list at number four. And the thing is, is that no one knew if it would or not. Like my publisher didn't know because the way the New York Times calculates the bestseller list is a secret. It's a closely guarded secret and it's not just based on number of sales. There's a lot more that goes into it. Wait, really? Yes. I did not know this. You know, I had that conversation with my editor at St. Martin's Press, which is a division of Macmillan. She's like, well, your numbers look good, but we just can't know because we don't really know how they do it. And so then this is what she said to me on the phone which was like I mean this just lets you know this is not a small thing which is why it feels so weird cuz she said for the rest of your life and even after you're dead you're a New York Times best-selling author. Wow, that's really exciting. Yeah. I mean, that gave me chills for the rest of your life and even after you're dead. I mean, (laughs) they've already redesigned the cover at St. Martin's with the words New York Times bestseller on it. So it really is a big distinction. So thank you to everybody. I am so grateful, more than you know. It's not going to go to my head (laughs) because I still feel like myself, which is why it feels so weird. I don't feel like any different than I did before. But I mean, it, it is a big deal. But I am so grateful to everybody who bought Fast Feast Repeat. The pre-orders, that's really what did it because, you know, it's based on the number of pre-orders. They all count in the first week of sales. So everyone who pre-ordered, thank you. Thank you so much because, you know, after the first – really on, like, day two that the book was available, it had already sold out on Amazon U.K., Like Amazon UK ordered a certain number based on pre-orders, and there were no more available. Like people who are getting it internationally, there's a company, for example, called the Book Depository that was just great for shipping internationally from the United States. They sold out on like day one or day two because they had ordered a certain number. So all the people who had pre-ordered, you know, that really helped. But people who didn't pre-order couldn't even get them because they were out. Amazon had enough, but they've already gone back for like a fourth printing. I'm so excited.
0: I struggled to get it. I got really upset. It didn't deliver the day it was supposed to. Oh, your book? Yeah. Normally with Amazon, when they don't deliver, they're they're like coming, you know, the next day. But it was like undeliverable, returning to sender. I was like, what? Can you just bring it to me? I went to Barnes & Noble and tried to get it, but they didn't have it. So I was like, can you order it? So they ordered it. And then I ordered it on Amazon. So I I got it like two days after.
1: Yeah, our Barnes & Noble had had one copy. I went... um, Did I tell you this story already that I went... Two days or something before it was supposed to come out? I think you told me, or I might have seen it on Facebook. Okay. I went to Barnes and Noble here in Augusta and said, Do y'all have any copies of Fast, Feast, Repeat? And they looked on the computer and the guy's like, We have one. It's in the back. And I'm like, Okay. I'm the author and I'm really excited. He's like, Yeah, we can't bring it out for two more days. <laughs> he was not impressed that I was the author. <laughs>
0: I'm surprised he wouldn't bring it out to show you.
1: He would not bring it out. But anyway, then my friend went on the day, the release day, a friend of mine went to that same Barnes and Noble and they still had not put it out. It was still in the back and they brought it out for her because it was the release date. And then she was telling them how I'm a local author. And I guess it was a different guy. So he ordered like 10 right that minute.
0: That's funny. Well, yeah, because when I went to go find it, I was like going through the section. It's so surreal now to go through the section, like, you know, Our section in the Barnes & Noble, because I'm like, I feel like I know all these people.
1: It's true. Well, you really do, because you've talked to them. But even me, just the people we've had on this podcast, I'm like, yep, we know her. Yep, we know him.
0: (laughs) I feel like I'm like among old friends when I go in that section. But I was like trying to find your book, and I was like, where is it? And then, yeah, I don't know if they hadn't. I don't know. It doesn't make any any sense, because I said they had two copies, but then they couldn't find them. So I don't know. Maybe people already had them in their hands, and they were walking around the store with them. Yeah, I should have like attacked all the people. But yeah, so very exciting. Are they going to release a hardcover?
1: I don't think so. I don't think that's in the plans.
0: Yeah. I don't know if that was like a thing.
1: Mm, I don't know. I feel like if they were going to have a hardcover, they already would have one. The next steps are getting it to international distribution, because right now my publisher only has North American rights. And so that's confusing a lot of international readers. So y'all, if you're trying to find the Kindle or the audio version, internationally, this is why you can't, because they only bought the North American rights. So hopefully we'll we'll expand those. You'll be able to get them sooner. But you can get the paperback from the United States. You just have to order it through a company, like I said, like the Book
0: Depository, who ships internationally. Gotcha. I will say I started reading it. I feel really bad that I haven't read it yet, but... Well, you've got a lot going on. Well, for listeners, Jen's going to come on my other show for the book. And so everything's like very scheduled and like reading everything on the timeline for reading to prep to interview. So it's like being read in the timeline of when it would need to be read for the interview. I'm really excited. It's gonna be fun. I have a lot of questions. Well, good.
1: I'm getting a lot of great
0: feedback, which makes me
1: happy. You know, from people who were in the group for a long time and who have been doing intermittent fasting for a long time, who have said, you know, I only bought the book because I wanted to support you and thank you for everything that you've done. I didn't think I'd learn anything new. But by the time I was on page five, I was going, oh, wow. And I've learned a ton of things. So that makes me happier than anything. People who didn't think they'd learn anything new, didn't think they needed to read it, were really glad they bought it. So thank you to everybody. Again, I'm so grateful. You will never know how grateful I am to all of you. And if you haven't gotten a copy yet, pick one up. <laughs> you might be surprised at things that you didn't know.
0: Yes, so for listeners, we will definitely, definitely be putting links to that in the show notes. The show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode One sixty nine. I feel like to that point with intermittent fasting, you could write a new book every year and it could be almost a completely new book with all the new studies that are coming out. Well, the thing is, is that only the
1: first part of the book is related to
0: fasting specifically.
1: You know, it's fast, feast, repeat. It's in three sections. And so it's more than just a book about here is what intermittent fasting is. You know, the first section is about You know, we've got a couple chapters about the science, about intermittent fasting, the health benefits, that sort of thing. You know, why we fast clean. Oh, by the way, I have heard from so many people that they were like, well, I've heard you say fast clean a million times, and I still didn't think it mattered. And finally, it clicked after I read that chapter in Fast Feast Repeat. So now I'm finally fasting clean. And okay, you were right. Like, I cannot tell you how many people have already said that to me. That's exciting. But then, you know, the first section and then tells you how to do, you know, how to design your protocol. And I've got, you know, some different approaches in there you may not have seen or thought about, which surprises me. Some of the things I put in there, people are like, I never thought to do it like that. And then I also have the 28-day fast start, which is, you know, lets you know what to expect when you're first starting out and some different plans for how to ease yourself in. But then the second section is feast. And it's all about food, calories, ultra-processed food. You know, we've talked about this before on this podcast. And so it's not so much about here's intermittent fasting, but here's why, you know, counting calories is not what you want to do. Here's what, you know, appetite correction is. And here's why you want to eat real foods versus processed foods. So that's in the feast section. And then the repeat section is more about, you know, making it a lifestyle, how to measure your progress. What do you do if you have a plateau? maintenance, mindset, I'm really, really proud of the mindset chapter. That might be my favorite chapter of the whole thing. I think if people just only got the book and read the mindset chapter, it would help them in many parts
0: of their life, not just with
1: intermittent fasting. I'm so proud of this
0: book. Awesome. It's so exciting. So listeners, get your copy at Barnes & Noble or online or wherever books are sold. Anywhere books are sold. That is true. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes. All right. So to start things off, we have just a really quick listener feedback. This is from Elise. She says, hi, ladies. I just wanted to say a huge thank you for all that you do in this space. IF and the info I get from the podcast has truly changed my life. Also, on your recommendation, I read Never Binge Again, and that has been life changing too. For the first time, I have been away with family this weekend, and combined with 24 and the Never Binge Again approach, I have not stressed about what I have eaten, enjoyed a few treats within my healthy rules and boundaries, and feel amazing. Thank you for your hard work. You really are changing lives. Elise? I love that. That makes me so happy. She's from New Zealand, which is pretty cool. I'll put a link in the show notes. I did recently interview finally glenn livingston on the melanie avalon biohacking podcast for the never binge again approach that's the book that i i swear i feel like i mention it every single episode but it pairs really well with intermittent fasting cuz he's all about having very bright lines and boundaries and you know saying yes and no to the basically the voice in your head that wants you to eat things or do things that aren't serving you and really helps you take charge of that he calls it the pig So, yep. All right. Shall we go on to our next question? So we have some more feedback from Deanna, and the subject is
1: mammograms and IF. And she says, Dear Jen and Melanie, I love your podcast. I'm caught up on all the episodes and don't recall hearing about this women's health occurrence. I'm writing you about my experience in case it can help ease concerns for anyone else who may have experienced it. I'm not a doctor and believe in regular preventative screenings. And we also agree with you, Deanna. We agree in regular preventative screenings, too. All right. She says, I'm 46 years old. I have had annual mammograms for the past six years. Up until my most recent annual mammogram last fall, my results came back normal. Last fall, my mammogram results came back abnormal, and I was required to go back for additional screening a week later. Also, around this time, I had been intermittent fasting for seven months and was down 25 pounds, which was the top of my goal weight range. During this additional screening, nothing concerning was found, and the doctor officially diagnosed me as having dense breast tissue, which I was then told is common for a lot of women. I was released and told to come back six months later for additional preventative screening. Fast forward to this month and my six, actually eight due to the pandemic, month follow-up. Again, I had a mammogram and additional ultrasound screening. I was told I still have dense breast tissue and thankfully nothing concerning was found. While reading my results, the doctor noted in my file that I had lost a significant amount of weight last year and asked the tech to ask me about that. I asked the tech to ask the doctor if weight loss can lead to a change in breast tissue to which he confirmed it can and noted that that is likely what happened in my case. The tech was really surprised by this and told me it's the first time this scenario has come up for her. She also told me that dense breast tissue often signifies young tissue, that most women start out with it, and that is why it's pointless for most women to have mammograms before age 40, when our tissue is the densest. So, is it possible that IF is making my breast tissue more youthful as well? I kid. I was really scared to have an abnormal mammogram after years of normal results, Fortunately, it wasn't cancer and was only a change in my body composition. I just want to share this in case it can help anyone else not to worry if they find themselves having this new normal as well. Thank you for reading my letter, Dina. And then at the end, she said, pronounce Dina, not Deanna. So I'm sorry, we said it wrong at the beginning. It is Dina, not Deanna. Sorry. <laughs> we should have read that part first. Thank you, Dina. That is great information to have. And wow. Wow. I have a whole chapter in Fast, Feast, Repeat, Intermittent Fasting, you know, the real-life fountain of youth. It appears it's made Dina's breast tissue
0: more youthful. I'm wondering if it was from the fasting. I guess we won't really know, but that is really, really fascinating. You know, it's such a great anti-aging strategy that
1: I could certainly see how that would be plausible. No, we don't have studies about that. But, you know, intermittent fasting as a lifestyle is fairly newish on the research don't have a lot
0: of people who've been doing it long term. You know, we've been doing it for a while. We're we're the long termers, right? I just found that really, really fascinating reading that. And I thought that that was, it was such a wonderful story about, well, first of all, congratulations on her weight loss and all of that and sticking with IF. It's nice to know because I think, especially today, I don't know, it's like we're always so many tests and so many markers and so many potential health problems. So it is nice to hear stories where there was potentially something of concern, but then it actually was, you know, all okay. Not to say that, you know, markers should be disregarded or anything like that, but I think it's a very motivational thing to hear for sure. Absolutely. All right. Shall we go on to our next question? Yes. So the next question comes from Christina and she says, Hi Jen. First of all, thank you so much for writing Delay Don't Deny. Although I feel like Jen... Soon it's going to be changing to fast, feast, repeat. I'm so proud of that book. I hope so. <laughs> she says, it was a total game changer for me. My question is about black coffee. I've noticed that some blends of coffee, even if it's not flavored, it will have, quote, notes of vanilla or chocolate or even fruit notes in it. Do you know if this will break my fast or should I just stick to a 100% coffee? Thank you for all your time, Christina. People ask this all the time. <laughs> They ask it now all the time in my group, too. I
1: think it's new. This is a new trend from coffee makers. And, you know, just like wine, I mean, you know, Melanie knows this and probably most of the listeners do as well. We've all heard about wine being described as grassy or jammy or whatever, you know, all the different tasting notes that wine can have. Well, now they're doing it with coffee and they're putting it right there on the front notes of vanilla or chocolate or fruit or whatever. Those are just tasting notes like they've always done with wine, and it does not imply that they've added any flavors. But people are so confused. So, Melanie, I'm going to have to write a whole new book called Tea and Coffee. Why are you so confusing? (laughs) Because it's just another way. I mean, honestly, tea and coffee should be easy, but it's like the hardest thing. Like, I dare you to go to any gas station and try to find a bottled black coffee cold brew that does not have added junk. Like, you can't. Like, one time I've ever been able to find one. And, you know, these tasting notes are just confusing people all the time. So if it's just tasting notes, you can ignore it. Also, I don't even know what they're talking about because I've never been like, oh, notes of vanilla and chocolate. No, it tastes like coffee to me. Have you ever tasted the tasting notes
0: and thought it tasted like that in coffee? Maybe. Well, a, I don't drink that much coffee. I could see maybe like chocolate sometimes, maybe, but not really. No, I never have. <laughs>
1: never. But it's just so funny because people are just really having a hard time with that. It's just like orange pico tea that confuses a lot of people. You know what orange Pico tea is, right? No. Okay. It's like if you buy Lipton tea, just plain old Lipton tea bags, it's a blend of orange Pico tea and uh, tea. It, I think it says on the label. So people are like, oh my Lord, is this flavored? No. Orange Pico tea is just a grade of tea, but it has the word orange in it. And so people think it's flavored, but it isn't.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Tea and coffee. Why are you so confusing? It's becoming up more and more
1: all the time. I think it's a trend.
0: I mean it's been a thing but I think it is becoming like a popular trend now.
1: Like they're putting it on all of them, not just you know the fancy ones. Even like you know the cheaper ones at the grocery store are starting to have tasting notes.
0: Yeah, cuz the coffee I I drink now, well, by drink I mean I have a like a teaspoon or a tablespoon of it is the bulletproof like luminate coffee. I was talking about it in my Facebook group the other day, which people should join by the way. It's IF Biohackers intermittent fasting plus real foods plus life, but somebody commented, they were like, but this is flavored. Like, doesn't it break your fast? I was like, no, (laughs) no, it's not. It's not flavored. But to clarify, there are sometimes, don't think now whenever you see coffee, if there's a flavor, that means that it's necessarily a tasting note because there are coffees that are flavored.
1: The key is to figure out is it tasting notes or do they add ingredients? And you should always read the ingredients list. If the only ingredient is coffee beans, you're fine. If it says natural flavors or artificial flavors, that would become a no.
0: Yeah. Typically, when it's tasting notes, I say this hesitantly, but it's probably not going to say flavored, like in that terminology. It'll, it'll probably say, like, with hint of, or it might say, like, flavors of. I probably won't say flavored because that kind of like insinuates that they've added something to it. So if it says it's birthday cake flavored, it's probably not a tasting note. Probably not.
1: If someone was really upset in in one of the groups, you know, maybe a couple weeks ago, because she's like, I've just realized this has broken my fast. I've been drinking this the whole time. And I'm like, no, no, those are tasting notes. You have not.
0: Kind of like when you dream you ate a cake and you wake up and realize, oh, you did not indeed. People do that all the time as well. Yeah. (laughs) So funny. Great question. Thank you, Christina. Hi, friends. We know things might be a little bit stressful right now, and we're always looking for ways to help you feel better naturally. That's why we are honored to partner with Feels. They're providing a better way to feel better. I was already a fan of CBD oil, but it was so important to me to find a company that fit my very stringent criteria. We're talking organic, full spectrum, tested for purity, and made with an MCT oil carrier. I knew if I could find this exact combination, I'd have a CBD oil that I could use for myself and also share with my friends. I'm a huge fan of CBD. I've done a lot of research on the science and basically CBD regulates your cannabinoid system, which can help you feel better. CBD has been shown to help with so many things from mental stress and anxiety, to insomnia, to pain relief, and so much more. Of course, it can be difficult to get your hands on high quality premium CBD, especially even more today. Thankfully, Feels delivers premium CBD directly to your doorstep. You can put just a few drops under your tongue and instantly feel the difference. If you're new to CBD, they've even got a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. With a Feels membership, you can get CBD delivered to you every single month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. And Feels has an amazing offer for our listeners. I mean, this is huge. You can become a member and get 50% off your first order. Yes, 50%. Just go to feels.com slash ifpodcast and you'll get 50% off your order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash ifpodcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels honestly has me feeling my best every day. And I really believe it can help you too. So definitely check it out. All right, now enjoy the show. All right, should we go on to our next question? Yes, this is from Stacy, and
1: the subject is insulin release. Ladies, you're awesome, so down to earth, and really, thanks for that. My question is this. If during the fasting window you consume a zero-calorie sweet beverage that causes insulin to be released, and you withstand the extreme hunger this may produce and do not consume any calories or food,
0: What are the detrimental effects? Thanks. Love listening to you both. I'm guessing, Jen, because I haven't gotten to the section in your book yet, do you have a section on this in the Fasting Clean? Or do you talk about this? I mean, I do talk about how high levels of insulin stop
1: fat burning. And so we don't want to have high levels of insulin. I mean, there are three fasting goals. You'll get to that in, in that chapter. The three fasting goals, one of them is to keep insulin low. So... You know, drinking a zero-calorie sweet beverage is not what you want to do, you know, because insulin is anti-lipolytic, meaning it stops fat burning. That's well known. So the thing is, Stacey, that's important, the thing that sets intermittent fasting apart from a low-calorie diet is that we lower insulin and therefore we're able to tap into our fat stores and we become well-fueled during the fast. So if you're not well-fueled during the fast because you're, you know, keeping your insulin high and your body is not able to tap into your fat stores, when you're not well-fueled long-term, that's the whole, you know, low-calorie diet slash metabolic slowdown effect that occurs. So you want your body to be well-fueled during the fast by tapping into your fat stores. So the opposite thing would be keeping your insulin high, and now your body's going to slow down. So the clean fast really is important.
0: Yeah, so... In the acute moment, so say that you release insulin, but you don't actually take anything in, the detrimental effects, in that acute moment, you're probably going to be hungry and you're not going to feel very fasted. It's not going to be pleasant. I don't see like in that acute moment, like there's actually any detrimental oh there could be here's one that actually could be very detrimental
1: and that would be it could cause your blood sugar to plummet to the point that you become really shaky because insulin clears out your blood glucose levels so if you had normal blood glucose levels drank a zero calorie sweet beverage insulin was released it could plummet to a level that you really feel bad like it could be you know low
0: yeah well So, like, to that point, I feel like if you stuck it out, I think there would be a counter-regulatory mechanism to bring it back up. So, it's, it's like, not an ideal situation, and it's not healthy, and it's not what we want. And I'm just saying, like, if you could, in theory, stick it out, I don't think in that literal acute moment, really terrible things would happen. But it's not going to... I mean, it's not sustainable if you're doing that constantly. And then you wouldn't want to be on that blood sugar roller coaster.
1: And can I make one more point? Because this is important. Someone who had high blood glucose, you know, because we we all have different levels of blood glucose, we know that. Someone who has chronic high levels of blood glucose, if they consumed a zero-calorie sweetener, insulin was released, their blood sugar went down, they may not even feel it. So you can't just go by, well, I drank it and I felt fine, so nothing happened. You don't know what happened. Maybe your blood sugar went down a lot, but now it's more in a healthy range. And you might think that that's a good thing, but it's not because the reason it went down is because of the insulin and now you have higher insulin. I hope that makes sense. But you only feel it go down, your blood sugar, you only feel your blood sugar go down if it was like in that normal range and now it's low. Does that make sense?
0: So for listeners, what is the healthy alternative to lowering the blood sugar? It's, it's just fasting more? Exercising compared to taking in a non calorie sweetener and lowering it via insulin?
1: Well, I mean, if you have dangerously high levels of blood sugar, you have to manage it the way your doctor you know, wants you to manage it. You may have to take insulin. You may have to use insulin. We know that type 2 diabetics have to use insulin. And type 1 diabetics, you have to take in insulin to get your blood sugar down to a normal level. And so insulin is required in a dangerously high blood sugar state. But if you're just a little high and, you know, your body releases insulin and you're you're let's with a diet soda, the, the whole diet soda example, your blood sugar was a little high, but you have no idea what it is because you aren't measuring it. Now your body releases insulin in response to this diet soda. Your blood sugar comes down because that's what insulin does. And you don't feel it because it's down to normal levels. Versus me, if I went and had a diet soda, my blood sugar is a normal level all the time. If I had a a diet soda, my blood sugar would plummet to the point that I would feel it.
0: Yeah, 100%. Have you ever done a continuous glucose monitor? I have not, but I would love to because I think it would be fun a company just reached out to me and i think they're going to come on my show and give me one. I'm like, "Yes."
1: <laughs> oh lord, have mercy. I want one too. They could come on our show. I need a I need a continuous blood glucose monitor just because you'll get to this when you get to the feast section of fast feast repeat, but i i once again talk about how, you know, the glycemic response varies from person to person, which we've talked about before on this podcast and the predict study and the predict 2 study, which actually a bunch of my friends took part in the PREDICT-2 study, and they're starting to get their results back. It's fascinating. And they wore a continuous blood glucose monitor during that study and tracked what they ate. And they could see, you know, we all have a different blood glucose response, but a lot of it depends on your gut microbiome. And so they're starting to get recommendations based on, well, here's what foods work for you and what foods don't work for you. But it's based on results from the continuous blood glucose monitoring. Yeah, I'm really excited. I know. I'm just so, you know... I would just love to to have that data because it's interesting.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating. All right. So the next question comes from Christian. The subject is eight weeks in and Christian says, I am 50 years old post hysterectomy and menopausal taking hormones. Since my surgery, I've been gaining a lot of weight and I am at my highest weight ever. I started IF 16.8 over eight weeks ago, then switched it up to 18.6. I gave up smoking, finally, started walking three and a half miles every day, and I would teeter-totter within a five-pound range. I finally gave up alcohol and stepped up my walking to six and a half miles a day, and I am still struggling to lose. I eat reasonably well during my window. I want so badly to do one meal a day, but I literally get so shaky, weak, and cannot focus. I lose my temper easily because my blood sugar drops. I try to extend each day by one half hour, but I never make it past 18 hours. I was listening to your book on Audible, and during your testimonials, someone mentions eating hard-boiled eggs to ward off weakness and shakiness. Is this recommended? How many eggs would be recommended? I like to use this to bridge the gap until I can build my body up to fasting. Okay, I put this in here, Jen, because is this a testimonial in your book?
1: I love this so much because think about this. When This is from Delay, Don't Deny in the back, the testimonial section. Think about this. When I wrote Delay, Don't Deny... It was 2016, and I had not yet written Delayed on Deny. It was not out there. And we were all just in these fasting groups, figuring it out as we went along. But no one was following Delayed on Deny because it hadn't been written yet. So in my groups, I was like, hey, I'm writing a book. I would like a testimonial about intermittent fasting and how it helped you. And so I gathered those together and I put them in the back. And again, remember, this was 2016. And when I actually read the book aloud for Audible, it had been, oh gosh, was it 2017 or even early 2018? I can't remember. I didn't have the audiobook for a long, long time. But when I was reading the audiobook aloud for Audible, at least a year after it had been out, I was reading the testimonial section, and I'm like, some of these are a little wacky. <laughs> <laughs> and and that this egg one is one of them. And you know, if I could go back in time, I would probably not put some of those in there, but remember that the time was so different. We hadn't yet had the book. You know, I had only been running my support group for a year. The Obesity Code had only been out for a few months. Anyway, yeah, that's a more wacky suggestion. What was the suggestion, to clarify? It really wasn't a suggestion. It was someone telling her story. It was just the testimonial section of how they used intermittent fasting. And it's been a long time since I've read it. But from memory, it was her talking about how she, when she was trying to adjust, she would just eat an egg to help her adjust. And then eventually she didn't need the eggs anymore. And so... Christian, what I would recommend is you need to get Fast Feast Repeat and you need to read the 28-day Fast Start because there is an approach for you. The easy does it approach is what I want you to do. So get Fast Feast Repeat. You can get it on Kindle immediately. You can go ahead and get the paperback. It might be in one of your local stores. Amazon will send it to you in two days. But read the 28-day Fast Start and use the ease in approach to slowly get your body ready for intermittent fasting because that'll help you build up to be able to fast longer. Also, really examine your fast and make sure you're fast and clean. That's important. You know, you said you started over eight weeks ago. So it may take you a little longer to adjust, you know, because of
0: your overall health, but really examine your fast and make sure you're fast and clean. Yeah. Okay. So because for listeners, I prepped the questions for this and I was like, "Jenna's is probably going to be like, why did Melanie put this in here? But I was like, dying to know. No, I love it. Okay. Not to be offensive to Christian, just because it's like just such a random question, but I was like dying to know what this egg story was. Well, I just have to tell you that,
1: you know, I I wrote Delight on Tonight. I gathered the stories from the people in the group. I was so grateful for every person who shared their story. Again, I was just like, I got to have some stories who can tell me something and I put them in there, (laughs) you know, but reading them when I read them a year or so later, I was like, huh, this is really not what I would recommend. Why? Why did I put this in?
0: (laughs) But, you know, my recommendations changed over time too. Well, first of all, I want to say, Christian, so you had the hysterectomy. That's removing your uterus,
1: right? It's removing your uterus. And sometimes people also have their ovaries removed at the same time, but not
0: always. Okay. So, in any case, I'm pretty certain there was probably some huge hormonal change in your body that happened with the surgery. And I just want to encourage you, Christian, that hormones control. Everything. So like the weight gain might not be because you're not doing enough or you're not fasting enough. It's not necessarily a matter of you doing something enough. If the hormones have switched around and have a different story going on and they have a different plan for what they want your body composition to be at this time, it's really, really, really hard to work against your hormones. Because, you know, you said you're you're walking more, you're giving up alcohol, you gave up smoking. Congratulations, by the way, on that. But you just can't seem to, you know, break through. And I just wanted to encourage you that, I mean, on the one hand, it can seem dark if the hormones are really that much in control. But just know that if it is hormonal, that there's a very good reason that it's, you know, so difficult for you. And the encouraging, motivating thing is that you can keep, tweaking your dietary pattern and your lifestyle and the choices that you're making to work with your hormones, you know, so it might not be so much a matter of having to do enough to lose the weight as much as it's finding the lifestyle and the protocol and the approach that is going to get your hormones back into balance so that your body wants to naturally lose the weight. So it's just a slight mindset shift. But I think it's really, really important. And so hearing you, though, explain more about the the egg story, I'm guessing with that testimonial, it sounds like she was probably, I mean, I don't know, but it sounds like she was probably having difficulties entering like a fat burning or a ketogenic mode. And so using that egg is like a, a bridge. It was basically, you know, not forcing, but it was like teaching her body in a way to switch over to a fat burning type of metabolism and ketogenic metabolism. That's exactly it. Yeah. So kind of like how people, some people find it easier to go into fasting after having done a ketogenic diet because that diet like teaches their body in a way to burn fat for fuel. Actually. Oh, can I talk a little bit about this? Cause we were talking about this before the call about ketones and stuff. I think I had an epiphany <laughs> recently, yesterday, actually. So yesterday I interviewed the founders of a company that actually makes a breath ketone analyzer. And I'm not saying you have to measure ketones and, you know, measuring ketones, the urine, breath or blood, it can be very confusing Especially, I mean, I learned so much yesterday just because it's such a complicated process and the levels change based on so many factors. And there can be false positives, false negatives, because at any given moment, what you're doing, even if you're in a ketogenic state, is going to affect how you're using the ketones, how they're being excreted. I will stop myself from going like really intense into science like I'm really wanting to right now. (laughs) In any case, the reason I'm bringing this up is the epiphany I had was that I mean, because I, I understood, like, obviously, ketosis is because our bodies turn to an alternative substrate for fuel when the glucose is not available. I don't think I quite put two and two together that the important thing here was glucose, like something needed for the brain.
1: Oh, yeah, that you needed ketones for your brain. Yeah, I think I actually say that in Fast, Feast, Repeat.
0: I knew that you like the brain can fuel off of ketones or glucose, but that's the main reason. Mm-hmm. Because like, you know, we, we get questions before, like, can you burn fat and not be in ketosis? And the answer is yes. Because so like, if you take away ketosis, and I think all of this finally clicked for me yesterday. And like I said, if I had sat down on paper, I probably would have like been able to write this out, but it just made so much more sense after the conversation. We could lose a lot of weight, burn a lot of fat and never once enter ketosis because our body's capable of burning fat and carbs all the time. The reason we have to switch into ketosis is because our brain has to have fuel. It has to be fueled. And so, if there is not glucose, it has to be fueled. And our body could produce glucose via gluconeogenesis, but the path that works, you know, efficiently and pretty well is the ketogenic path. So, producing ketones for the brain. Here's a quote
1: from Fast Feast Repeat. Your body produces ketones from your stored fat, which is a fabulous fuel for your brain in the absence of glucose. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which, I mean, I'd always knew that like it's like a benefit, but it finally clicked like, oh, this is why when we run out of glycogen, we've got to start. We have to. Because the brain can't run off of fatty acids. And that also helps explain why you could never enter ketosis, but you could still be burning fat because you're just burning fat and carbs. You know, so you're fueling your brain with glucose from carbs, but you're also burning fat at the same time. Our body,
1: it's not like an on, off, this, that. It's doing a lot of things all at the same time.
0: Yeah. I think there's like this idea out there that like fat burning is like on or off. But you can be obviously burning carbs and fat at the same time. You sure can.
1: But I don't want people to stress about what is my body doing right at this moment. And, you know, the rise of these intermittent fasting apps that like have a timeline in there are like really causing people to fixate on it like okay my app says I'm in ketosis now my app says I'm burning fat now and and people are really like hyper focusing on some of these things and I think it's causing a lot of stress like people are fasting extra just so their app tells them something different
0: so check out the book for a specific protocol my answer is you could in a way like we were talking about if you're having trouble extending your fast long, you could do this type of thing where you're having like a small low-carb type snack to slowly build your muscle. Exactly. You're building your fat-burning enzymes.
1: You're building the ability to use fat for fuel. You know, some people really
0: have a hard time with that early on. Now, I'm curious, when you do this in your plan, is it near the like, end of the fast or is it more like you have like a low-carb like, meals for like a few days? Well, at the beginning, you start by just having the low-carb meals. You gradually push them back. Okay. Because the reason I wanted to clarify is like, I don't think this is a thing where like, oh, I'll just be fasting. And then if I am hungry, I'll have an egg. No, that's not the recommendation. (laughs) That is not what the plan is.
1: (laughs) But just kind of what it was, the testimonial and delay don't deny. I'm trying to remember. It's been a while, like I said, since I read that. But I think it was kind of like whenever she felt like she needed it, she just had an egg. And that's not exactly the same thing. I want you to have a plan for how you're easing in so that you're gradually pushing it back.
0: Hi, friends. Are you searching for access to grass-fed, grass-finished beef, heritage breed pork, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood shipped straight to your door? If so, then you'll probably be a major fan, just like we are, of ButcherBox. ButcherBox is truly doing incredible things for our world and it is my true honor to partner with them. They're working directly with responsible farmers and cutting out the middleman of the grocery store to provide affordable access to meat and seafood, which supports both our health and the environment. Did you know, for example, that only 5% of quote grass-fed beef is actually grass-finished, meaning it was raised 100% in pasture? Well, guess what? With ButcherBox... It's grass-finished. Their chicken is also GAP certified. Their pork and bacon is traditional breed, rich in flavor and nutrients, and free of nitrates and added sugar. It all tastes amazing, and they offer a variety of boxes so you can find your perfect fit that works for you and your family. To learn more about their practices and get on their wait list, you can go to butcherbox.com ifpodcast. Again, that's butcherbox.com ifpodcast. All right, shall we go to the next question?
1: Yes. This is from Jill. And she says, Hi, Melanie. I'm an avid listener of both your podcasts. Is retinol bad? It was listed on the Neverlist card you sent. So helpful, by the way. I'm going to go through all my products and see if any Neverlist ingredients are in them. All right. So y'all, I'm going to say this word. I don't know if it's right. But I've been using prescription Trentinoin for years. Tretinoin. It's T-R-E-T-E-N-O-I-N. Chad could probably tell me how to pronounce it since he has a PhD in medicinal chemistry, but I have no idea. She says, I had no idea retinol is bad. It's helped keep my acne and blackheads at bay and helps with the old skin turnover. Thanks so much for your time and
0: all the research you and Jen do to help us out here. Jill. Yeah. So I really loved this question from Jill. So she ordered some beauty counter products, which are Products formulated to be free of endocrine disruptors and a lot of compounds, which, speaking of actually the earlier question, we were talking about if your hormones are against you, it's really hard to, you know, possibly change your weight or burn fat. And a lot of these compounds actually are even obesogens, meaning when we put them in our body, they actually encourage our fat cells to like retain them because they're attached to fat naturally. And then they actually encourage the body to store more fat. And then they can even modulate our hunger hormone levels, our satiety levels. It's really, really crazy. I could go on a big tangent, but I thought this question was actually really, really interesting because I was thinking about it in terms of fasting as well. So Beauty Counter has a never list card and it's all these compounds that they don't include. And one of them is retinol, which retinol is often proposed as like an anti-aging compound in skincare. But the way it works is it actually increases cell turnover. So when you put it on your skin, it speeds up the production of your skin cell turnover. So you shed those old skin cells and then, yeah, you have new bright, you know, shiny skin. <laughs> the problem is, I mean, there's a lot of problems with that. It's really messing with the mechanism of aging and turnover rate of cells in our body it's it's in a way it's kind of like i don't know it's just so contrary to something like like fasting which would be naturally supporting getting rid of old skin cells old cells in the body and then creating new cells when we're putting in a compound that artificially speeds up that process there's a lot of things that can go wrong with that you know how there's often said that it's a side effect of retinol products that you are sensitive to the sun Have you seen that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I used to take this. I was prescribed Retin-A by a dermatologist back in my 20s.
0: Yeah. So one of the reasons for that is thought to be because it speeds up the cellular turnover process, the new skin cells that are created, they're not ready. Like they don't have, I'm being really casual and the way I'm saying this, but they're not formulated correctly because it's been, you know, pushed forward. And so they they don't have the, the proper barrier to protect from UV damage. So that's a reason that it can be a problem for sun exposure. And also in the long term, you only have so many numbers of turnover potential for cells. So in the long term, you're actually probably bringing on early aging for your skin in the long term, which is kind of shocking. So basically... I would not encourage using retinol or products made with them. And you definitely want to get anti-aging skincare that does not feature that. And that instead is working with your body, naturally supporting, getting rid of old skin cells, naturally nourishing your skin cells. That's why Jen and I both love Beauty Counter, for example, because they don't have retinol and they do all of that. I just kept thinking it like I keep Putting it as like a parallel to intermittent fasting though, like the difference between like putting in a drug into your body to to deal with something and, and sort of like artificially induce an effect or like make something happen compared to just letting your body, you know, naturally deal with things the way it should be. The link for Beauty Counter, by the way, if you would like their anti-aging line is called Counter Time, but the link for that is MelanieAvalon.com slash Beauty Counter. And if you use that link, something special might happen. After your first order.
1: It will. Something
0: special will happen. Possibly. (laughs) All right. So, shall we go on to our next question? This comes from Catherine. The subject is Podcast 155. Catherine says... Hi, thank you for your podcast with all the golden nuggets for my healing process. I am definitely a newbie to IF about three weeks, and I've been watching a ton of videos and listening to your podcast for about a week. I'm sure you know a lot more about this than I do, but eating in the afternoon, I have definitely felt so full after my one meal a day. Sluggish, tired, no energy for about two hours before I feel better. Tonight, I decided to eat at eight, Because work has slowed down and I can afford to be more sluggish. I am definitely full and I am glad work is over for the day. So, my thoughts are that if I were to eat in the morning when leptin levels are lower, it seems I may have more of a chance to eat all of those necessary calories without feeling stuffed before I get through my meal and possibly feel less sluggish afterward. So a couple hours to recover from the meal and I'm off to work, hopefully with enough energy. The other part is that some videos I have seen have said that we should welcome hunger because that is our body signaling that we are entering fat burning mode if we power through the hunger signals. So could that mean that our bodies normally go into fat burning mode at around 8 p.m. And we should redefine those signals from go eat to definitely don't eat if you want to burn fat. Can you consider this angle and comment on a future podcast for me? Thank you so much, Catherine. And, and what I think Catherine is asking here at the end is she's saying that she's heard that our body, when we feel hungry, it's because our body is entering a fat burning mode. So if we at like eight o'clock feel hungry and feel like we should go eat, that actually would we be better off to not eat so that we can enter the fat burning mode and burn fat? Jin? What are your thoughts?
1: I do know what you mean, Catherine. And I do feel like personally, you know, when I'm getting to the point of my fast where my body is finishing up with whatever, you know, energy it had before and getting ready to have to dip into fat stores, I do tend to have a little, hmm, I could eat now. And if I push through that, then that passes and I no longer feel that way. So I do think that Catherine is right with that to a degree. But here's something about me. I don't sleep well. Like if I'm in ketosis and I'm in the the fat-burning mode, I don't sleep well. So if I had that that feeling at 8 p.m. and pushed through and didn't eat, I would have a very restless night's sleep. That's me. As far as for you, you know, if you decided to eat in the morning and that worked really well for you and you felt great, and then by the time night rolls around, you're able to go to bed still in the fasted state and sleep well, then you I mean I have a good friend who morning is her preferred eating window time. She wakes up, she has her morning eating window, she goes about her day, she has a great day, that works really well for her. When I eat early in the morning, I have a hungry day and I spend the day eating. <laughs> it does not work well for me. So I don't want you to overthink it based on theoretical things like what's my leptin doing, what's my this doing, what's my that doing. I want you to find something that feels good to you as a lifestyle. Eating in the morning does not feel good to me. Eating at night does not feel good to my friend. And so you've got to learn what feels right to you over time. And, you know, you said you're early on. You're about three weeks in and that you get really full after eating, sluggish, tired, no energy for about two hours. That really does get better later, you know, as your body adjusts to fasting, I don't have as good of an energy level after I eat, but I don't feel like I immediately need to go to bed right after I eat. I'm not as mentally sharp, but I can still, you know, live my life for the rest of the evening. But I, I don't have as much energy as I had before I ate, which is one reason an evening eating window works well for me. I do all my work before I eat. But it's not as extreme as like now I have to have a nap, you know, after I eat my dinner. I still have, you know, hours to go before bed and, and I'm okay with it. I get through it. I'm not miserable or, like, dragging. So give your body a little more time to adjust and see how you feel. And I'm not really sure what time you're eating to be sluggish for two more hours. But if you're still at work and it's making you sluggish, see if pushing that window back would help you. Have it a little later. But experiment. You'll know over time what works for you.
0: Yeah, I actually really love this question because – a lot of it really resonated with me because I guess she's saying that when she eats like in the afternoon, you know, then she gets like really sluggish and unproductive and it, it doesn't seem to be suiting her. But then she talks about how if she eats at night, it sounds like it actually does work because her work is over for the day. So she can sleep after, but her concern is that she's, she's not able to eat enough at night.
1: Well, no, it sounds like to me she wants to tap into prime fat burning, and she's wondering that if she eats at 8 p.m., is she going to keep her body from tapping into fat? That's how I read it.
0: Oh, well, the reason I was thinking of that was because she said, my thoughts are that if I eat in the morning when leptin levels are lower, I may have more of a chance to eat all of the necessary calories without feeling stuffed before I get through my meal. But then she also, at the end, talked about
1: going into fat burning mode at 8 p.m., and so she doesn't want to eat so she can burn fat.
0: Yeah, I think she has a lot of things she's trying to ponder, but I've had that same experience as well, Catherine. So like, I like eating at night because I do get tired after, but then like you said, work is over for the day. You know, I don't have to be productive. Then I get to sleep and then I'm good to go in the morning. I've had the exact same thought, Catherine. I'm like, hmm, I get really tired after eating. Maybe I could eat like early because part of me wishes I was like a early morning eating person. I'm like, maybe I could eat really early and I could kind of have that like assimilation period, slow period after, and then be like good to go for the whole rest of the day. That's like my idea in theory, which it sounds like Catherine has had this idea as well. I will say it's never panned out for me ever. So I've just embraced, like Jen said, the fact that I just do well with eating later. Like she said, I wouldn't stress too much about what what the levels are doing or what time is best or just find the plan that works for you in your life. And for you, it sounds like you might be able to make the morning thing work or the evening thing. sounds like the mid-afternoon probably isn't working for you.
1: And that might just be because she's still adjusting to IF. It's just hard to know. During the adjustment phase, you really cannot judge anything about intermittent fasting because your body's still doing all, all these new things. That's really what I've found from people, you know, over the years. It's just a wacky time.
0: Yeah, true, true. How do you feel about this comment? I once read a comment. It was like, you should never have to recover from a meal. What are your thoughts about that comment? Well, I mean, you don't want to
1: eat to the point where you feel bad. The goal is to never feel bad after eating. I'm, I'm talking about physically bad. You never want to physically feel bad. So I understand that in theory that you never would want to do that. It makes sense. You want to eat so that you continue to feel good and not eat until you feel bad.
0: Yeah. The the thing I wonder is like one of the reasons I really like eating before evening is because then I can just, you know, like sleep. And that's what I find suits me best. And It all depends on what we mean by the word recover. Yeah, I guess that's true. Do you mean
1: recover like you have to make up for it somehow, or oh no, I meant based on like how you 're physically recover mhm yeah I, it just depends i 'm not really sure what what they mean by that. might have been more in the context of like reacting to foods or or it really could be a mindset thing, like you should never have to f- make up for a meal like because a lot of people have that mindset that dieting mindset that so many of us developed over the years of you know gosh i've been on vacation now i have to recover from my vacation make up for all the damage you know it's all those negative words that we have in our head the good news is i was just on this vacation with some friends that i was talking about at the beginning of the show and when i got back i was very full because we had two meals a lot of the days we ate a lot of food we drank plenty of delicious champagne and other alcohol we invented a drink by the way i'll have to share it in a minute but I was ready to get back to fasting, but I didn't do anything to make up for it. Like, I didn't have to recover or make up for it. I just went back to my normal schedule and listened to my body. I didn't feel the least bit bad. So we, we invented a drink called the Serenity Now. And what is in the Serenity Now? It's amazing. It's coconut rum, coconut water, a splash of pineapple juice, and then a splash of something fizzy like San Pellegrino or just some kind of fizzy water. So delicious. It sounds very
0: Caribbean-ish.
1: Yeah, the Serenity Now. That's what it's called. Are you a Seinfeld fan? Clearly
0: not. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Because I posted it. I I came home and made one for my husband after the trip, and I posted it in the Facebook group and said it was called the Serenity Now. And someone's like, like on Seinfeld. I'm like, yes, exactly like on Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it was named from. But one of the people that had been at the beach with me, she's like, oh, I didn't know that was a Seinfeld reference. I'm like, yeah, that's why I named it The Serenity Now, because it's an episode where George Costanza's dad. Have you watched it at all, Melanie? Do you know the characters? I might have watched an episode in like TV class. Oh, Lordy, you got to watch it. It's, it's the best show in the entire world. And literally every scenario of your life, you can tie it back to a Seinfeld episode. But George Costanza's dad is having like anger management issues. And so he keeps screaming, serenity now. And he's screaming it. And George is like, he's like, I heard of the guy on the tape. He said, whenever you're, you know, having issues, you just say serenity now. And he screams it. And George says, are you supposed to yell it? Anyway. I feel like I had to have watched it, but I feel
0: like I would have really laughed when I watched it. It's so funny. It's the best show. I know. It's sad I haven't. What years was it?
1: It was in the 90s. Maybe 92 might be when it started. And it played all through the 90s. It was every Thursday. It was back in the day when there were no DVRs and you had to watch it live. So we always would, on Thursday, we would watch Seinfeld. You had to watch it at that time. There was no pause button. There was no, I mean, you just watched it. You went to the bathroom during commercials. Commercials. You got your snack during the commercials. You could record a VHS.
0: If you had a VCR, yeah. Good luck, though. Those things might not work. Kind of like my dad had recorded every single Star Trek original episode on VHS. Except for one. Times were really different.
1: You had to be there watching it. I'm sorry, I can't do anything on Thursday night. I have to watch Seinfeld.
0: Now you can stream them all on Hulu. They're all on Hulu. Yeah, now it's like all on the computer. Oh, did I tell you um, really quickly, you know, how my TV got stolen? So I was on my new TV and I was on Netflix and it started recommending like all of this really random, like children's television stuff. Like, and I was like, what is this? Um, and then I realized, I guess my stolen TV, wherever it is, they're watching a lot of children's television, like the, my Netflix account is on it. So I'm going to track it down, going to track it down somehow.
1: Okay. <laughs> Be safe. I'm not tracking anything down. I'm like,
0: enjoy your TV, people. They're watching Veggie Tales. Veggie Tales. We see, and look, they might have sold it to somebody else. So maybe No, that no, that's what I think happened. I think they probably bought it and didn't realize that. Oh, that's weird. This already has Netflix on it, paid for by somebody. <laughs> um, we're gonna find it. The modern world we live in. That's so funny.
1: Well, it's like I had a student, this is the last story, and then I'll stop. I had a student who stole another student's iPod Touch, I guess. It was back in the day, a little years ago. Stole the other kid's iPod Touch when he was at their house for a sleepover. And then they were, it was on their iCloud account. And then all of a sudden, photos from the other child's family vacation started showing up in their iCloud account. And then they knew that kid had
0: stolen it. Because like, look, here's all this kid's family photos. That's funny. Well, the funny thing is with the Netflix, I'm like, I don't want to watch anything on Netflix. Cause if they did steal it, I don't want them to realize that, like, I have access to my account. <laughs> I'm probably overthinking it, though. Who knows? I called Netflix and they're like, "You have to get the police to send a report or something.
1: What I would do is I would just go ahead and change my password and disconnect that device.
0: No, because then I can't track it. I wouldn't try to track them. That would be what. <laughs> well, then the police can't track it. I guess so. Actually, that's exactly what my mom said With what I said. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Mom, no. I was like, I can't change the password because I got to track it. I would just change the
1: password and go on with my life. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Move on.
0: (laughs) But justice must be served.
1: Well, good luck. I hope you can serve some justice. That would be great,
0: but we'll see. Okay.
1: I'd be so scared of retaliation like they'd find me. Like one time I got flashed at a stoplight really close to my house years ago back in probably 92 and I called the police when I got home but it was only a few blocks away and then I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to figure out where I lived and then I called the police and they're going to come in anyway. That's we got what? Flashed at a stoplight.
0: Flash stoplight.
1: Yeah, a flasher came up to my car window at a stoplight. It was it was late at night.
0: Wait, wait, flashed at a stoplight? I don't know what you're saying. What, flashing? Flashing? You don't know what flashing is when someone flashes you? Oh, and like wants you to go through the stoplight? Oh, no, no, no.
1: A person walked up to my window. He wasn't wearing a trench coat, but imagine the old, you know, someone with a trench coat flashing you. Someone showed me his body parts at a stoplight. He flashed me. Oh, I, oh, (laughs) some kind of weirdo pervert, came up to my car window, and he flashed me. But I was only a couple blocks from home. And so I drove home, and I was so shaken, and I called the police because that was not good. But then I was like, this person might live in my neighborhood, and now he's going to know where I live. And then I was scared. (laughs) Anyway, that's the way I think. Like, they're going to come back and retaliate against me later because they know where you live. Anyway. Oh, gosh. Thank
0: you for reminding me. Well, I do think it's probably a different, hopefully, person. Yeah. But
1: never forget that they know where you live. So you don't want to make crazy people mad at you that know where you live. That's all I'm saying.
0: Uh, I'm just going to keep putting out good vibes to the world.
1: That's a good idea. You
0: can never go wrong with that. Yeah. Rather than live in fear, love for all. So, okay. Well, I will talk to you next week. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.